This is the SG Tour Report podcast from Secret Golf. Hi, I'm Diane Knox, and this week we are talking Bermuda Championship. My gosh, I see those commercials on TV for Bermuda, and I'm like, I want to go. It looks beautiful. And um, yeah, well, I guess we're kind of countdown to the Masters now, only two weeks away. So Bermuda this week, then the Houston Open. And um, yeah, well, I mean, the fields are kind of different over the next couple of weeks. Bermuda was usually an opposite field event, but it's been given full status by the PGA Tour in this super season. And then, well, a lot of guys might play Houston next week to get ready for the Masters. Maybe some are going to take a bit of rest time. So yeah, an exciting couple of weeks coming up. So this week on the podcast, Elk is off. And I thought, well, I need a I need a co-host of some sort because talking for a whole hour about golf myself, you pr- probably don't want to hear that. <laughs> so first up, producer Jay is going to help me. Jay Kaplan, who sits beside me every week. I'm giving him um, his moment in the spotlight. <laughs> so he's been on the podcast a few times before, but he's very, very good. So Jay's going to be helping me. And I thought I need to get someone else who can really talk about the course. Port Royal Golf Club can talk about maybe like the technical aspects of golf and um, yeah, someone who's an expert in that field, maybe a pro. (laughs) And the one in my back pocket is always my brother, Russell Knox. Um, I asked him and I fully expected him to say no. So when he said yes, I was like, whoa. So Russell is playing in Bermuda this week and he joins me to help co-host the SG Tour Report. The show's going to be a little bit different this week because I'm not joined by my trusty, regular, golf-knowledgeable co-host, Steve Elkington. Um, Big dental appointment for him this week, so there's no way that he could come on the show and talk to me um, to cover the Bermuda Championship on the PGA Tour. But never fear, because I have two very worthy replacements who you're going to meet in just a little while. So last week, it was the Zozo Championship at Sherwood Country Club in LA. Patrick Cantley, the champion. And well, it was Justin Thomas's title, really, that he threw away. And John Ram in the hunt, too. Now, these guys have one thing on their mind, and that's going to be the Masters in two weeks. The way it works is Bermuda Championship on the PGA Tour this week, then the Houston Open, and then straight to Augusta National. Now, the field for the Masters was already set. It was the way that it would have been played back in April 2020, if it had gone ahead. And already we know there's going to be no fans. However, for the next two weeks, we do have fans on the PGA Tour. And well, that's going to be something fun that we're going to be talking about on this show. So I did say that I have a couple of helpers and one of them you're going to meet in the next segment. But first up, well, very, um, I don't really know how I feel about this because, well, I get to boss him around, which is going to be lovely. But my co-host is someone who's in the field in Bermuda this week and he just so happens to be my younger brother. Thank you for doing this. Well, absolutely. It'll be fun. (laughs) So um, when I when I said that I needed a co-host, I got the text and I was actually with you at the time. And I was very shocked that you agreed to do it. Yeah, I uh, probably should help out a little bit more. So uh, when you gave me the, the chance to do it, here we roll. 
So this is the second year of the Bermuda Championship. You played it last year as well. And it's not a particularly long course. I mean, it's one of the shortest that you play on tour, just over 6,800 yards. What would you say are the main characteristics of Port Royal? I mean, first and foremost, uh, Bermuda is an island. So it's, uh, it's very windy here. So um, the... The yardage of the course may be a little deceiving because obviously if it's super windy and a lot of the holes play into the wind, it can play it can play a little longer and there's a few uphill holes. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing about this golf course is the weather. I mean, if there's if you get four days with no wind, um, the 30 under par is going to win. So but if you get four days with it blowing 25 mile per hour wind, the, obviously the scoring is going to be a lot different. So Basically, the, the biggest thing about this week, depending on like the winning score, is all about the wind. And we said that, you know, it's a relatively short course in comparison to some. And there's like eight par fours under 415 yards. Really, you're going to be thinking about that second shot being the most important. And for a lot of guys, it's going to be a wedge. Yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, there's... Last, I haven't played the course yet this year. Um, I just went and did a little practice on the range today. But um, last year, there wasn't much rough on the golf course. So it was all about kind of get it somewhere and play off the tee and then attack with the second shot. So it's, it's definitely a course if you're on with your 7-iron, 8-iron, 9-iron pitching wedge and, and wedges down. Because like you said, there's not length is not a huge factor this week. So... The, the holes, you're not going to be hitting five iron into a bunch of par fours, four iron, long irons. It's mostly short irons. So if you can get the ball and play off the off the tee, be aggressive with the driver, short iron, short iron, short iron, one after another. So that's why you're going to see very good scoring, even if the wind is 15 miles an hour, because you've still got lots of scoring clubs. Once it gets a little more than that, it'll become challenging. And, you know, you talk about the low scoring. Last year, Brendan Todd at 24 under par. I mean, okay, he played like lights out incredible in the final round shooting that 62, but we are going to see low scoring and it's just going to make that proximity to the whole stat even more important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, always an enormously important stat. Um, I mean, if you can hit it to eight feet compared to 15 feet, three or four times around, I mean, that could be the difference between winning a, a tournament or even missing the cap. So um, just the way now the fields are so bunched up, um, you have to play the weekend, you have to you have to bring it, you've got to play two pretty solid rounds. And then obviously in order to win, you got to you got to take it deep a round or two. So uh, yeah, I mean, that second shot, second shot is the most important shot on, on this course. Um, just controlling your ball flight in the wind is not going to be just send a wedge up in the air every time. I mean, the course is reasonably soft. It rained quite a bit today. So it's going to be kind of control your spin, control your flight. you got to have to, with the wind, hook little shots, fade little shots. So it's, it's definitely a course where if you can be in control of your golf ball, that second shot, you can make a ton of birdies. And what about the greens? I mean, are they particularly large greens, small greens? Are we going to see a lot of elevation changes, undulation, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, because it's an island and it's windy, the greens can't be super fast here. I mean, uh, if, if the, the wind is going to get to 20, 25 mile per hour this week, I believe. So you're not going to see super smoking fast greens. There's, there's a, 
there is quite a bit of elevation on this course. Uh, so there's a few points which are very exposed. So you, you just can't, because of that, you can't get the greens maybe running at 12 on the stim mirror. So I think they'll be around the slower kind of range of the PGA Tour. So they'll be around kind of 10, 11, maybe max on the stim mirror. And the greens are, they're not overly tricky greens, but they do have a little bit of slope to them. So you do get rewarded if you're in the right kind of section. And um, like I said, because you're going to have those shorter shots in, if you're in the fairway, you can attack. And then short putting here will be reasonably easy, unless obviously it's windy. Um, let's talk about that wind, because obviously growing up in Scotland, wind is something that you've had to endure from the very start of your golfing career. Um, we were talking about like, you know, we've, we've mentioned this before that the Australian players and the Scottish players, we always say, have a bit of an advantage playing in the wind because you've been brought up. Do you have to change your strategy at all from like playing in Vegas and California to then going out to Bermuda where you know that's going to be a factor? Yeah, I mean, so I've always said this sometimes like in Palm Springs and Vegas and whatnot, places where there's very little wind. I sometimes personally struggle to like picture a shot. I I think it's a huge advantage when there is a little bit of wind. Uh, I naturally see more options, uh, being able to kind of hold the ball up against the wind or use the wind. Um, so for me, it's, it's a benefit when there is windy. Sometimes when it's flat calm, I struggle. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do here? Because I'm just not used to that. So um, obviously, it's, it gets windy all over the United States, though, and everyone is is obviously very capable of playing well. I mean, the Texas boys obviously can flight their ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, growing up in the wind on a on a daily basis, I relish the challenge. I enjoy that. And um, I mean, last year here, I had a decent tournament. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to the, the challenge of the wind. So you finished T11 last year, just outside the top 10. Um, you're opening round, so 64. So you start hot right out of the gate. And this is something I want to talk about because Safeway Open not long ago, to start the 2021 season, you shot a 63 in the opening round. And you had said to me that it's hard sometimes when you go super low on a Thursday because, first of all, it's like, okay, well, how do I get better? And then how do I keep that momentum going for what seems like a long three days after that? Yeah, I mean, Safeway was was an amazing start this year, nine under day one. I mean, it made it a long kind of stressful week for me just because the fact that, I mean, I hadn't, I don't think I'd broke par the first ride for months. I felt like, so it was definitely nice to get off to a good start there. And then also this tournament last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, because I haven't maybe played as well as I would have liked when you do shoot a great score and you're leading after day one, your mind starts to wander and be like, okay, let's keep this going. What yeah. can happen? Blah, blah, blah. So so yeah, but it's great though to 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 shoot a good score because you know that really that you just need three okay rounds uh, after that and you're going to be right in the mix. But um, uh, obviously, uh, it takes it takes two really good days to to win a golf tournament now. So um, you're going to have to like Brandon Todd did last year, a uh, couple sixty twos. What about fans being back on the course this week? Because it has been lacking. I mean, do you notice a, a real difference not having fans out on the course? Yeah, of course. There's always those kind of three or four holes where there's massive grandstands um, and there's kind of a buzz normally on a par three towards the end, uh, especially on a like a Friday afternoon. I mean, there, there, there's a good buzz there. So, yeah, I mean, it has been a shame that no fans have been here. Um, I think there's going to be very little fans allowed in this week. Uh, and obviously on a 
pretty small island is not going to be jam-packed anyway but uh but yeah it'll be nice if we can slowly kind of get fans back and i think um I mean, it helps. I mean, I'm an adrenaline-based player, so I mean, sometimes when there's when you have that, and your heart's kind of beating. It, it helps me kind of elevate my game. So without the fans, it's been difficult to kind of get going a little bit. You have to kind of create your own adrenaline, and I've been pretty useless at that. So um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, some fans will be able to uh, spur us on this week. There's a real difference in opinion with that because uh, Mickelson made it quite apparent that he's not really for the 2000 a day fans going to be at the Houston Open. And, um, you know, that's going to be, I think Bermuda, as you say, it's a self-contained island. And are they not testing? If you arrive in Bermuda, you get tested for COVID right away anyway. So the chance of it spreading yeah, is like virtually. That's true. Yeah, I mean, th this week, I mean, uh, as soon as you land, everybody, not just PGA people, everybody that vacations here gets tested on day one, day four, day eight. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, testing in in Bermuda. They they're obviously doing a very uh, proactive job to to keep this uh, coronavirus away from here. How have you found it um, traveling week after week? I know you've just had two weeks off when the CJ Cup and the Zozo was on, but how have you found it? Like kind of being in that bubble, is it starting to relax a little bit, or is it still very strict and the same as it was? Well, I mean, they they I guess they try to call it. Um, a bubble but it's not really because I mean technically we can go out to eat anywhere so there's been much stricter bubbles in, in other professional sports but I mean we have the luxury obviously of it being an outside game and you can kind of social distance very easy so as long as we make smart decisions of where we eat dinner um, fortunately the tour's done an excellent job with that so um, it's been fine though I mean to be honest it really I mean, our, our check-in registration kind of uh, testing process has obviously been a little different to begin the week. But um, I mean, as the week goes on, it's just business as usual, obviously, without the fans. So we've been very fortunate to be able to play. And um, I mean, kudos to the, the PGA Tour for that. So let's talk about your game now. Um, <laughs> because you will be the first to admit that the 2020 season disappointing to finish just outside the top 125 in the FedEx Cup standings. Then we talked about the hot start that you got off to at the Safeway Open and you got a top 10 finish, you know, finishing T9 that week. Then in your last two, you've missed the cut. But where do you feel the game is and how do you feel it's really kind of warming up for this week in Bermuda? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... Golf is a very weird game, obviously. Um, I mean, 2020, I mean, I came out of the 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 layoff playing this dreadful golf and, and I hated that. I mean, after, what, 12, 16 weeks off or whatever it was, uh, I mean, you just try to envision yourself coming out, flying out of the gates, winning tournaments. And uh, for me, it was, it was just crawling. I mean, not even crawling. So that was extremely disappointing. And um, I mean, I've made... Uh, quite a few changes since then. I mean, some coaching changes and some equipment changes. And, and um, I'm, I mean, I'm extremely happy where my game's at now. I mean, obviously, starting off in Napa, finishing um, top 10 was, was an excellent start for me. I mean, then I had a couple of weeks off, just the way the, the schedule was. And then at Sanderson Farms, I, I just didn't play very... I didn't play terrible, but I didn't play well. The course maybe doesn't set up great for my strengths, and I, I putted poorly 
And then in Vegas, I played fine. I mean, I shot five under for two days. I mean, not like that's amazing giving the the kind of easier conditions but i mean five under still five under and obviously didn't make the weekend uh, by a couple there so anyway, i'm not a million miles off i mean there's been good golf uh, i've worked extremely hard and uh, my practice i'm still very motivated to to play well so uh, so no i'm excited uh where my game's at um i mean four i've got four massive opportunities before the end of the year here um so i mean hopefully we can uh, have a big run and the great thing about Bermuda this week is it was always an alternate field event, but now with this super season that we've got on the PGA Tour, it's seen as a full event. So there's an extra million dollars in the purse taken up to four million, 500 FedEx Cup points for the winner. You get your PGA Tour card secured, place in the Masters, um, Tournament of Champions at the start of the year. I mean, that has to be a huge incentive when, and I, we'll talk about this later, but when we look at the alternate field events, you know, you look at the field and you're not seeing the big, big names. So when you look at that, does it make it a little bit more, first of all, enticing, maybe slightly less of an overwhelming challenge? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, um, I haven't, fortunately, I haven't had to play in many opposite field events over the last few years um, because of some good play. But and the ones I have played in, I've I've done fairly well. And I think because it's more of like a psychological thing, you're being like, okay, well, the quality of field is maybe not quite there. So, hey, I'm one of the, the best players in this field. Um, most experienced. Uh, I've, I've won a few times, so I'm able to, to kind of deal with that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, as you know, I mean, the young guns are, are, are pretty ridiculously good at golf. So nobody's really scared anymore. But, yeah, I mean, with the Bermuda Championship being full, FedEx Cup points is, a, is an enormous opportunity for all the, I think there's 132 people playing uh, this week. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to obviously the guy that wins is, is going to walk away with 500 FedEx Cup points. But it's also a great opportunity for the guys that finish kind of top five to, to bank some some huge points. So um, it's, uh, it is a nice feeling to kind of feel like if I just take care of business here, I'm going to have a good chance. And are you a stat guy? Do you have a look at your stats at all? You know, or do you do it frequently, like after a round, after a tournament? Do you and your coach work on that? I've, uh, I'll let you do a little secret. I've, I've deleted the PGA Tour app at least 20 times off my phone, I think. I, uh, I, I, I like looking at the stats, but I mean, sometimes it just drives me nuts. So I, I constantly am deleting info. So uh, I don't have the chance to look at it but um i mean as a player i don't think it's overly important to to study the stats it's great to have someone that maybe does and nudge you in the right direction but uh i mean as a player you know what your strengths and weaknesses are and what's kind of holding you back and i mean for me it's it's just glaringly obvious i mean i gotta drive the ball in the fairway and hold more putts i mean it's uh the rest of my game is has always been there but um when the, when the, I can drive the ball and play off the tee and hold a few putts, I mean, golf for all of us is an easy game. 
Yeah, I mean, it is easy when you put it like that. Right, so my co-host on the show this week is Russell Knox in Bermuda. Um, the skill set that we're going to be looking at for the course this week, driving accuracy, greens and regulation, scrambling, putting average and birdie average, which ties in nicely with everything you told us about the course. So Russell Knox, my brother, is helping me co-host the show this week in Steve Elkington's absence. And he's going to be back in just a little while from Bermuda. But... It's only right that the guy that sits beside me week after week gets his moment in the spotlight. Normally, he's the behind-the-scenes producer who helps make the magic happen here on the SG Tour Report. But this week, Jay Kaplan, it's your chance to shine. I could not be. Look at me. I'm, I'm glowing. I'd like to say I'm in Bermuda with Russell and the on-course correspondent, but somehow Elk promised me I'd be in Bermuda, but now I find myself in some random rooftop lounge sequestered <laughs> the rest of the world. So thank you very much. And thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on the show because we are talking about the Bermuda Championship. And as I said, you know, you, you help us with the show. You're like, um, the, I was going to say the brains behind the operation. Uh, yeah. I'm being... I'm being nice because I'm very grateful that you're helping me, but I can't really be too nice. I have to keep you in your place. So we already know Port Royal Golf Club this week. The main stats that we're going to be looking at for the course are driving accuracy, greens in regulation, scrambling, putting average, and birdie average. Jay, seeing Brendan Todd win at 24 under last year, what does that kind of tell you about the play that we're going to see this week? Tells you that we're continuing this trend of really low scoring on the PGA Tour. Um, the last, uh, gosh, actually, you know, all the way going back to the Northern Trust with Dustin Johnson winning in the, what, low 30s? Yeah. It just seems that every week in this beginning of the season, these courses are just ripe to rip apart. And the other thing it does, it just tells you how good and deep the PGA Tour is because this is a field this week that we'll go over. And what you're gonna find is a lot of those big names are missing or uh, they're getting ready to play next week in Houston to prep for the Masters in two weeks. But what you'll find is even these guys maybe you've never heard of, but we scout and we scour and we know these guys really well, that they can play. And we use our stats and we do plug it in. So you're gonna be introduced maybe to some guys that you haven't heard of that, that are really talented players. Right, we're gonna get right into our top 10. So our top 10 is when we put the skill set required to do well around this course, all those stats that I just talked about. Then we put the field in and we look at their individual stats. These are the 10 guys that are in the win zone. And the guy that's at number one is someone that we've talked extensively about on the show. He's really started to stand out recently. He played the Corn Ferry Tour, did brilliant there. Through his play on the Corn Ferry Tour, got into some PGA Tour events, got into the US Open, ended up top 10 in the US Open. And apart from one missed cut at the Sanderson Farms Championship, in five starts where he's made the cut, he's finished top 10 in four of them. And that is Will Zalatoris. Jay, you know, obviously, as I said, you sit here with me week after week. We talk about him all the time. His name is bandied about all the time. It's almost like he's already won in our office because every week we plug his name in 
and he comes out near the top. Well, this week we have him at the top. Uh, he's a slender guy. He's a long hitter. He's young. This is the other thing about these alternate slash uh, event, uh, alternate events is that it gives these young guys a, a chance to win an event that everybody's expecting to someday win. And these guys come out of college ready to win. This is the difference now from way back when, and Elk would speak to this, is that these guys are so used to playing at an elite level that they're not scared of the field. They're not scared of other players. They don't care. They're ready to win and they're ready to grab a trophy and then catapult their career forward. This would be a great week for Zalatoris to do it. We did have him ranked high the week he missed the cut. So he does kind of owe us one. He does. And when you look at his numbers too, it's, uh, and obviously there's, you know, Corn Ferry Tour stats that we take into consideration and the stats that he's played with on the PGA Tour, but driving accuracy, 84th, greens and reg, he's 79th, scrambling, 62nd. The only thing that maybe lets him down slightly is on the greens and that flat stick. But as we said, the finishes that he has put together are amazing. A lot of top tens. Um, he's a name that... I mean, he hits the ball a blooming mile for such a tall, skinny guy. But I think we need to get used to talking about Will Zalatoris. And really, it's only a matter of time before he gets that win and secures his PGA Tour card. He needs to putt. I mean, that's, that's no secret. He, if he's going to win this week, he's going to have to outperform that putting average. It's, it's at 143. We think we can do it or we wouldn't have him uh, at the top. And... Uh, Let's go, Will. It's time now. Coming in at number two on our list is another guy who's got incredible momentum right now. And it's almost a shame that he had to sit out for two weeks with the CJ Cup and then the Zozo Championship because he wasn't eligible to play in those fields. But before that, this guy was on fire. Second at the Sanderson Farms Championship. He was in the clubhouse nice and early on Sunday after going really low. And then Sergio just pipped him to the post. Finished fifth at the... Shriners Hospitals for Children open in Vegas, and that is Peter Malnati. Now, when it comes to his numbers, we're ranking him first in current form, only because, as I said, that fifth place and then that second place. But this, we, we talk about guys having that kind of like higher putting average. It's his best stat. He's 19th on the whole PGA Tour when it comes to putting. His problem is off the tee. Um, his accuracy and his uh, green and hitting greens. So again, you go back to the stat that you might struggle with a little bit. If you can rectify that once he's on the green, he's the best in the field. So if this is the week that he can play with the wind and we'll see, everybody's going to have to play with the wind this week. If he's on the green, he's going to score. If he scores, he's got a chance. Yeah, exactly. So Peter Malnati coming in at number two and um, a big jump up in our re-rankings this week, 24 places. Third on our list is a guy that, Jay, I know you're big on. And when we look at Harold Varner III, he's been in contention so much lately. It's like he gets off to a really hot start. But then when it comes to the weekend and playing with a little bit of pressure, that's maybe something that he needs to overcome. But we've got him at number three on our ranking this week. I mean, Varner's game is pretty solid. His great stat right now is that greens in regulation. 
hasn't it seemed like he's one? I, you know, like I go back every time his name comes up, I go back and I just double check, like, wait a second. He really hasn't won, but he's on the rise. He's been on the rise. Everybody knows who he is. Um, he's happy. He has a, a final round issue, whatever that final round issue is. If he fixes it here in this low key event, um, he does it on an island where there's not going to be a lot of people. By the way, this is the first event with fans, which I know we'll talk about, but really how many fans are there going to be in Bermuda? But he has a chance to grab it, finally. This is a this is an event that lines up for him perfectly. Get on the green, make your putt. Um, talking about the fans, the good thing is, as Russell was saying, everyone that lands in Bermuda, whether you're playing a golf tournament or not, they get tested for COVID-19 right away. So they're like keeping it off the island altogether. So I think it's going to be good to see the fans back out this week. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna be uh, strange because it'll be smattering of applause. It's not going to be a lot of people. But nevertheless, it's always nice to be able to uh, get out and watch an event, I'm sure, for people that are on the island. Okay, coming in at number four is last year's champion. And we wanted to almost put him higher up in our re-ranking because last year, 24 under par. I mean, final round 62 for Brendan Todd and beat Harry Higgs by four shots. It was a life-changing win for him because it had been well-documented that he had the, the swing yips. He started working with Bradley Hughes, who's an Australian golf coach and part of the secret golf team. And this win was unreal. Then he won in Mayakoba not long after. Brendan Todd comes in at number four. His stats are excellent. The only thing that drops him down a little bit is a few weeks ago, he was working out at home and he dropped a 45 pound dumbbell on his toe and he broke his big toe. <laughs> so I saw him at the Zozo actually, he was hobbling around a little bit. 45 pound dumbbell, clearly too heavy for him. I, don't I, know what that I do my walking lunges with 45s. <laughs> okay. well, I don't make him on my toe. <laughs> yeah, that'll make him feel better hearing <laughs> that you do the same weight. Um, he was, when we spit him out of the formula, he was at the top. We did dock him for the uh, stub toe uh, or broken toe for this matter. I don't know how you play with a broken big toe. That seems very painful. Other your than balance. That has to really affect your weight. No, I mean, you think of all the walking and the weight. The good thing is he's going to be on a flatter course uh, this week. So that's probably in his mind. He's won there, so he's got good vibes. His stats back it up. I mean, he, he frankly is probably, when you just look at the stats talent-wise, he's probably the top player. But we are going to take injury. We, we do take these off-the-course issues seriously. And so we're going to speak to his personal trainer and try to lighten his load to maybe, I don't know, like five-pound aerobic dumbbells, stuff like that. So we'll see what he can do this week. But I do expect him, as long as his pain tolerance is high, to be there in the end. Yeah, I mean, we know that the, since overcoming the, the yips that he had where he just couldn't hit a fairway, it was like he didn't have a clue where the ball was going. Accuracy is his thing now, 13th on the PGA Tour, 12th for greens in regulation. Eh, no, sorry, never mind. Um, fourth in accuracy on the PGA Tour, third in scrambling, which kind of makes sense because his greens and reg is the highest part of his game, 138. But he can get himself out of trouble. Form of late has not been um, not been great. I mean, he finished 52nd at the Zozo, but as we say, the toe might have been a factor. So Brendan Todd is coming in at number four. 
on our SG Tour re-ranking. And then at number five, another guy who's been on the show quite a lot of late, um, Doc Redman. His stats are really good in that the accuracy stat that's important this week is 13th on the PGA Tour, 12th in greens and regulation. Um, birdie average 45th. Jay, what are you making of Doc Redman? Uh, Doc Redman's a name that people know. He's a good player. Um, his weakness is scrambling, as you alluded to. On a course like this, where he hits a lot of greens, let's hope he avoids scrambling. If he can do that and sink putts, he's going to be there on Sunday. That's why we have him ranked fifth. And he's, he is a good, young, solid player. I think everybody knows that. And it would not surprise me if he starts to uh, find himself at the turn of the calendar a regular in the top 10. That's how much I feel about this guy's talent level. Right, we're going through our top 10 guys in the win zone for the Bermuda Championship at Port Royal Golf Club. Our top five is impressive so far. Will Zalatoris, Peter Malnati, Harold Varner III, last year's champion Brendan Todd, and coming in at number five is Doc Redman. So sixth in our ranking is a guy... Again, whose name has been mentioned a lot lately. His finish, his play's been good. He's had a high standard of play. But again, it's four low rounds seems to be the issue for Adam Schenk. Seventh on the PGA Tour in scrambling. But Jay, what do you make of Adam Schenk, a name like that doing well in a tournament like the Bermuda Championship? I don't know what to make of this guy. He's constantly in the top of our... Uh, field rankings in these these quote-unquote alternate events or the lesser field events, but he doesn't perform. We've had him in the top 10, uh, I think three, this will make the fourth top 10 we've had him ranked in. So if you look at his last three events, finished 27, 32, and 56, we might be a little too high on this guy. I think it's time to start to prove for Mr. Shank that his name is a uh, not so ironic and he needs to straighten things out. You know, I really like to see this guy. I think um, you hear a lot of guys that are under the radar. To me, this is a guy that's under the radar, but it's time to start to play a little bit for Mr. Shank. So Adam Shank comes in at number six. At number seven, a guy who played great, finished top 10 at the Sanderson Farms Championship, Denny McCarthy. Now, he's got really good numbers. And when you look at... Okay, putting average, birdie average, two very important stats on the tour in any event that you play. He's 10th in putting average and 13th in birdie average. This should be an opportunity for him to score this week. You know, again, I go back to what, what Russell Knox has explained and what we know about this track in Bermuda. We know the wind is going to blow. And that's sort of the X factor in this event. If this guy can get on the green, he's going to make some putts. He's going to be there. But can he get from tee to fairway? Uh, can he get from fairway to green uh, without any issues? If he does, he's going to make putts. Again, it's not easy to make putts in the wind. It does affect. I think that's underlooked a little bit when it comes to playing in the wind is putting into it. But uh, if this guy can actually sink a few uh, – he might be around on Sunday and it would be great experience for him after his previous attempt at Sanderson. 
Mm-hmm. You talk about experience. The next guy has an abundance of experience on the PGA Tour, and he's probably one of the—I um, don't want to say veteran names, but like he really is. He's, he is yeah. we, we, that's what we say about this tournament now because it's full FedEx Cup points and everything else that comes with a win. A lot of bigger names are playing, and Charlie Hoffman is very hard to overlook. We've got him at number eight in our re-ranking. That is a jump up into the top 10. 13th in birdie average, 16th in putting on tour, 57th greens in reg. For Charlie Hoffman, the problem area seems to be when he gets into trouble, managing to scramble out of it. And he starts right off the tee in trouble. I mean, he's 150th off the tee uh, in driving accuracy. So... He's already having issues getting off the tee. He seems to recover okay, right? But if he doesn't hit the green, he doesn't scramble well. So can Mr. Hoffman with his newfound hair, and I like him a lot better when he had the sort of skateboarder look. Um, He played a little bit better. But um, he's another guy that at any point you feel like he can win. You know, these guys that have been out here for a while – you just know they're battle tested and they can figure out um, usually what's what's going on in an event. And again, how does the win factor in with Hoffman? We'll see over the weekend, over the week. Mm-hmm. But if he can get off the tee and write that and, and fix that one stat that he's weak in, he's going to be there. Yeah. So our next guy is 90 to one. His odds at the start of the week. And almost like wanted to put this guy as a sizzler, but his stats were so good that he rose up into the top 10 anyway. But at 90 to 1, I'm like, gosh, it's amazing. And Ben Martin is number 9, 27th in scrambling, 44th in accuracy on the PGA Tour. Ben Martin could be one of those names that, I don't mean this in a bad way, but you would almost forget maybe to mm-hmm. rate him highly for an event like this. However, that 90 to 1, as I said, he could be a great pick. Well, if you're doing daily stuff, he's a great pick to have mm-hmm. uh, in your lineup. Um, phenomenal from tee to green. His thing is putting. So, again, what's the one stat he can improve on? Putting the ball in the round hole would help. Having to go low is going to be the key this weekend. Can he make the putts? If he does, he's going to be there mm-hmm. on Sunday. And those are almost like the biggest parts of uh, when you look at his numbers is putting average and birdie average. So, there you go. Just needs to outperform on the greens and he could be right Completing our top 10 is a guy whose best friend won on the PGA Tour just a few weeks ago at the CJ Cup. So maybe that's going to give him a little bit of a boost to go out there and try and get the W again. He's part of the Secret Golf team, so we always want him to do well. And that is Pat Perez. Now, we talked to Pat and we talked to you know all of our Secret Golf contributors, but Pat in particular, him and Elk are so close. And he's really been working on his putting lately. So looking at his stats right now, I don't think they're fully representative of where his game's at, only because since he started working on, it was like his setup and alignment in his putting and um, where the ball position was in his stance. He's been putting a lot better. So I think we have to take that into account. I'm going to defend this pick. It's a homer pick, all right, to have in the top 10. And what I mean is if you look at his numbers, it probably doesn't warrant him to be a top 10 pick. Yeah. However, 
because we are secret golf and we do have the pipeline to the Pat Perez, uh, where he is and what he's been working on. He really wants to play well. And if you just look at from the outside in for a guy of his stature to go, go away, work on what he's got to work on and then come and play Bermuda. That says a lot that says that he's motivated. Right. So we have to do our sizzlers, fizzlers, and dark horse picks. As always, we kick things off with the sizzlers. And these are guys who are really moving up in our re-ranking. And it's almost like they just need to outperform one stat for them to go out there and do well. And lucky for us, our first sizzler, and it's not biased at all, I promise you, because when we put it all in, he came in at actually number 11 on our re-ranking, so just missing out on the top 10. And um, thankfully, he's my other co-host for today, Russell Knox. It's actually kind of funny you say that because the, the most popular bar restaurant in Bermuda is called the Swizzle Inn. <laughs> so it's kind of like the sizzle. So maybe I'll go to the Swizzle Inn. <laughs> Right, well, we're going to talk about why you're a sizzler. First of all, you're 11th in our re-ranking this week, which is a jump up of 28 places from the field ranking. So that's nice and positive. And your numbers are great. When we look across the, the board and greens and regulation, that's always been a good stat for you. Um, you said that you delete the app, but I'm just going to give you some of your numbers. 23rd greens in reg. Um, if you miss a green and you're in trouble, you're 22nd on the PGA Tour in scrambling. So these are great. Um, the glaringly obvious number, which yeah. you did, <laughs> which you made reference to and talked about. But we always say with our sizzlers, and we said it with Jason Kokrak a few weeks ago, you just need to outperform in one stat to make huge moves and to hopefully get that win. And for you, it is putting average. I'm not going to give you the number, but I'll say it's a red number. That's fine. <laughs> You're working with a new coach. Do you guys work on putting? Do you have specific drills that you do? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually just spent a week in, out in Palm Springs and, and I, I worked with uh, a couple of different people actually on, on my putting. So this is uh, we have a lot of new new things. Same same putter I've been using. Uh, I've kind of made a slight adjustment to to my setup um, practice. I'm going to use a stupid line on my ball from now on. I think uh, <laughs> to to try and help me aim. So um, so yeah, they're, they're, I've got quite a lot of new things on the go this week um, in relation to putting. So um, like somebody said, I mean. If it, if it doesn't feel weird or something's a little different, um, it's time to try something different because I've been banging my head against the wall for, I mean, basically my whole career when it's come to putting. So um, I, I see myself as a good putter, but the unfortunately um, the ball just seems to miss. So um, we're going to try something a little bit different here uh, towards the end of the year and um, see if it works. Elk talks about this all the time. Strokes gained putting is his most hated stat because he's like, it, it doesn't paint the picture. It doesn't tell the story. And obviously I eat, sleep and breathe you when you're playing and follow you on TV when they're showing you and on the app and on the website. And it doesn't really take into account how good you are at putting in that sometimes you just miss. And you probably have more lip outs than anyone I've ever seen play in my life. So that has always has to be reassuring that you know that you're that close. True. And I mean, if strokes gain putting stat was around when Elk played, 
he probably wouldn't have been very good at it either because I mean he was a, a ball striking machine. So when you when you hit green after green, I mean uh, obviously a great shot from say 180 yards would be to hit it to 15 kind of 20 feet, good good shots. But realistically, you're just not going to make those that often. Whereas I mean someone that maybe misses the green on the fringe and or chips it up to six feet and then makes it, all of a sudden that person's walking away with plus 0.6 strokes gained and elk or whoever's walking away with minus 0.2. So it's uh, and you have the same score. So um, it is a stat, which is maybe slightly misleading, but I mean, over the course of a season, obviously if you're high in strokes gained putting, you are a great putter. And unfortunately, if you're in the red, like me, um, you you just haven't made that many enough putts. So it is, it is a stat, which I look at, but um if you're going to win a tournament, you need at least three days of pretty good pying on strokes gained. So um, basically it just comes down to, I mean, if you can hold one or two longer putts around, you're going to probably finish the day in strokes gained uh, in the plus, unless you miss like a two four. And why did you call it the stupid line on your ball? Why have you been opposed to putting a line on your ball? Yeah, I've, just, I've never enjoyed playing with people that do it. Um, especially if they put it down and then they, I, I'm a huge fan of, they should make a new rule that once you place your ball down, you can't touch it again. Just like if it's lift clean in place in the middle of the fairway, as soon as your fingers leave the ball, you can't touch it. So I feel the same way with the, on the, the putting green. I mean, yeah, you can use your line, but the second you pull your, your uh, fingers off, off the ball, you shouldn't be able to adjust it. And it's so frustrating. I think playing with someone that, picks up their coin, coin down, moves the line like this much, and then down, oh, does it again. It's just annoying, and I, I hate playing with people who do it. And I 100% promise you that if I put my line down and it's incorrect, I'm going to hit the putt anyway. So <laughs> um, uh, it's just – but I, I do think, I mean, over the, the course of the week where I worked with um, some coaches at Palm Springs, I mean, I – Basically, I proved to myself that my stroke is fine. It's just that at times I'm a terrible aimer. So obviously using the line, I can, um, there's a bit of interference between what I see and my brain kind of sees. So um, using the line is obviously going to be a tool that potentially might kind of marry those together a little bit. So I'm, um, I'm going to practice hard with that. And as we say, you just have to outperform in one stat. And when you look at yours, that's it. Like the rest of the numbers are so good. It's just one number that we want to get in the green. Yeah, I mean, I'm not 100% sure if, if Shotlink's even here this week in Bermuda. So most of the time, if the Shotlink's not here, I putt great. That's just the way it rolls. So <laughs> like uh, I've played excellent in my career, my Coba. There's never been shot link there so obviously I've, there, there is normally like three or four events a year that I actually putt very well on but it doesn't give you the strokes gained uh, numbers so um, hopefully shot link's not here this week so I can't obsess about it and therefore I'll probably putt well and also um, shot link doesn't cover the European tour when you made like a 40 foot putt to get into a playoff at the Irish Open then you made an identical putt to win <laughs> So there you go. Yeah, exactly.
you have to draw on those kind of feelings. Right, well, it's been so good to have you on. Thank you. I'm very happy that I get to talk to you um, about being a sizzler this week for the Bermuda Championship. And um, yeah, obviously got off to a great start last year. There's good memories when you go to the course. You obviously enjoy playing it. And uh, I hope it's a great week this week. Yeah, thank you very much. Perfect. That's so good. There's nothing else I need to ask you. I think that covered absolutely everything. Another important stat this week is going to be par three scoring. Okay. Um, remember that one. There's one very kind of straightforward par three. There's just a little pond in front, but it's a short shot. The other three par threes are very difficult. Um, kind of longer shots with the wind. There's two. Uh, the, the, the 16th hole is the most beautiful hole around the water. And then the, the other two par threes are are hard. They're like uh, maybe a seven to a three iron, depending on kind of the wind and the tees. Uh, so they can be tricky. So um, the winner or the guys that play well this week will play those three hard par threes well. Okay, cool. That's a and good by well, I, Yeah, and by well, I mean just like make pars. That's it. If you can make a birdie, miracle. Thank you to my brother, Russell Knox, who's playing in the Bermuda Championship, who's been helping me do the show, along with Jay Kaplan, who's my producer normally behind the scenes. So we're going through our sizzlers for the Bermuda Championship this week. And Russell Knox is our first one. It, we weren't picking him on purpose. He came in at number 11 in our top 11 <laughs> on our re-ranking nah. so there's reason he just needs to putt better anyway I'm not going to harp on about that at <laughs> number two <laughs> our second sizzler is a guy who secured a top 10 finish in the Corrales Punta Cana just a few weeks ago so maybe he just loves playing in these uh, exotic beautiful palm tree by the ocean courses but that is Anirban Lahiri. He's number 17 in our re-ranking this week. He's 80 to 1. So pretty good odds. But when you look across the board, I mean, current form, he's playing well right now. We have him fourth for current form. Birdie average, he's 16th. And greens and regulation, he's 69th. So a guy like him, that's a good sizzling bet. An amazing story from the Indian golfer who uh, was adopted at birth and has a club foot and really can get around and play. I just made all that up. Nobody, nobody's ever heard of this guy. He's ranked 566 in the world. You might think all of that's true. You don't know. I don't know. All I know is he's going to show up in Bermuda this week and his stats warrant putting him as a sizzler. He uh, comes in with good form. Um, he could be sitting right next to me without an introduction, and I'm not sure I'd know who he is. I just want to be honest with you. But uh, keep an eye on him because we all are. First of all, I want to see what he looks like. Secondly, I think he's going to be uh, – what do we have? He's ranked 17th. His official world golf ranking is 566, which is probably why we've never heard of him. Let's give it a shot. Sometimes we throw darts and hit one right in the middle. This might be one of them, Diane. Okay. I was genuinely thinking <laughs> so much about him. And if he has a club foot, that's such a shame. Well, so he's playing on tour with a club foot. I think it's a tremendous story. Brendan Todd's got a broken toe. <laughs> there you go. There's a theme. Right. So he's the second of our sizzlers. A huge jump up the rankings. 
Our third one is a guy who lives in Vegas and he has, I mean, he's been playing good and bad. He's either like performs very, very well or kind of crashes and burns. And it sometimes makes him a little bit hard to pick. However, when we put his numbers in, he did jump up to number 22 in our re-ranking this week. And that is Maverick McNeely. Another guy that we keep seeing his name, uh, it's a flashy name. He lives in Vegas. There's a lot to like about this dude. Is Maverick and uh, loves to hit the uh, Sunset Strip in the Sunset Strip. That's LA. Loves to hit the things about these guys. Loves to hit the Vegas Strip, obviously. But I think it's time for him to get going. Um, We know he can do it. Again, his issues are off the tee. Uh, We think if he can fix that. Uh, this week, uh, his scrambling and his putting average are going to put him uh, in a good position to really jump into the field. So, when, again, when we talk about Sizzlers, we're talking about what is that one statistic that somebody may outperform. If this guy can stay in the fairway and hit a green, he's going to outperform that that driving accuracy stat. And uh, I like the chances of him jumping up into contention. So our three sizzlers are Russell Knox, Anir Ban Lahiri, and Maverick McNeely. With the sizzlers, they'll come the fizzlers. The guys that are really moving down in our ranking this week. And they're kind of, they're big name guys who we just don't think have the value. The first one is Podrig Harrington. So a major champion, but his numbers are... Shock it. We have limited, right? I, sh- I will say that, limited rounds, only five rounds that he's played. Um, and his finishes have been pretty good. So he's third in current form. However, his stat numbers, they don't marry up. He's 194th greens in regulation, 194th putting average, and 194th in birdie average. It's pretty much the lowest that you could get. This is a confusing one. Remember how good he was back and, in the day? He still, I mean, he still is, of course. But the number, the stats are difficult. It's hard to put him anywhere but as a fizzler this week. Remember how good this guy was. I mean, he was top 10 in every major. I mean, this guy was amazing. Well, guess what? He's not that way anymore. Um, tremendous ambassador, huge Ryder Cup history. A name that jumps out off the page if he's in the field, but you have to wonder why is he in the field? Um, his numbers are not even on our charts, so uh, it's this was a very easy one to put as a fizzler because I'm not even sure why he's in here. We're going off five rounds of stats. Your guess is as good as mine, Yay. but this day has come and gone, especially with these younger, longer hitters. Uh, Boy, would it be great to see him up there? It would, but that's fantasy. It's not happening this week. We have an 85th in our re-ranking. Um, another guy, when you talk about major performance, um, he's the guy that shot the lowest in a major at the Open Championship, but in his last three outings, he's missed every single cut. In accuracy, he's 159th, and that is Brandon Grace. Ice cold. He's just yes. ice cold. Can't get off the tee, can't putt. Something is clearly wrong with his game. And uh, I hope he's been working at it because I'm sure he has. I mean, he's a professional. But, man, he must be completely lost right now. 
to look at his numbers is almost shocking, actually, for a guy whose name is, is, is always in our sort of conscious in our office. We always look at him as one of the guys, right, mm-hmm. that we want to see in our field. And his numbers are frightening. Mm-hmm. Well, we do the field rank, and that is the guys that are playing. We look at their official world golf ranking, and they're ranked that way. So Brendan Todd is the highest in the world, so he's number one in the field rank. Brandon Grace is 12th in the field rank, but we have him at 94th in our yeah. ranking. I mean, that's a, it's a fall from grace. Oh, my gosh. I love a good pun. Who doesn't, especially from you? 159th, like you said, off the tee, 140 on the green. Uh, his birdie average is 140. He can't get off the tee. He can't score. He's a fizzler, classic fizzler. And the third of our three fizzlers is a British guy. Again, Masters champion. Unbelievable. Danny Willett. Danny Willett. He's third in the field rank this week, but we have him at 100s when we look at all of his numbers. Um, yeah, there's really nothing, nothing going great for him right now. There's not. We have him ranked third. He's a third in the field. We have him dropped 97 spots. He's 100. Um, what did this guy do after he won the Masters? I'm, I'm wondering what happened. And he's getting ready to go back to Augusta in two weeks where he gets to play for the rest of his life, which, you know, that's a great feature about the Masters is you win, you're in for life. You could play, you could be 170 and still be playing. Danny Willett has a lifetime entry into the Masters. It's kind of, it's kind of stunning uh, when you look back, the ability for him to win a major, let alone that major, and yet he's just so off the cliff with his numbers that um, I almost feel like we could put him in here consistently as a fizzler, but maybe that's a bit harsh. We'll go and we'll put him in there this week, and hopefully he can start to turn it around. I don't know when that is. It seems like he won the Masters 25 years ago. So our three fizzlers are Podrick Harrington, Brandon Grace, and Danny Willett. Now, my favorite part of the show week after week is our dark horse picks. And Jay, since you're the guest, I'm going to give you the honor of going first. Gee, thanks, Diane. Um, I love the dark horse pick. You know, basically it's the underdog, right? Nobody's kind of concentrating on these guys. So... Again, I have one at the coercion suggestion of uh, fellow Aussie, Steve Elkington. My pick this week is the guy that's won the, his home country's main event twice, the Australian Open. Um, that tells me this guy's a player who knows how to navigate any course that has heavy wind and uh, he may have a common name, but he doesn't have a common win game, Diane. It's Matt Jones, the Australian. That's my dark horse this week. Okay, cool. Um, Again, I mean, he does jump up high in our ranking and he's 110 to one at the time of recording. Yeah. And what's interesting is uh, he won in 2014. He beat Matt Kuchar in a playoff. Mm -hmm. So he's tasted uh, victory on the PGA Tour. Uh, winning the Australian Open is a tremendous feat. Uh, at least that's what Elk tells me all the time. And uh, he has a chance to climb the leaderboard here. He's going to play at a course uh, that he's accustomed to with the conditions. Keep your eye on 
Matt Jones. Do you want to hear mine? <laughs> um, okay, go ahead. My dark horse pick this week. So the name is a name that you're going to be like, okay, but <laughs> 40 to 1. So usually our dark horse picks are like, 100, 200, 250 to 1, 40 to 1. So I'm like, mm, I'm not the only one going with this. But my dark horse pick is Justin Sa. Now, Justin went to college at the same time as Morikawa, Hovland, Wolf. He was like the fourth one of their little gang. And he just didn't come out with the same speed and force that those guys did. So He's kind of like the forgotten about one, but now is his time to shine. 40 to one is a still a good payday. I think um, yeah, I'll tell you why I like this pick. Um, you mentioned that he came from that quality class of, of elite college golfers, but he's had to go the hard route. Yeah, right. So our dark horse picks, Matt Jones and Justin Saar. Right, well, this has been a fun show. Jay, Elk and I always leave it with, what are you most looking forward to this week? So you have to answer that question. I'm most looking forward to seeing the uh, tropical layout uh, of Bermuda. It's going to be nice to see guys playing the wind. I like to see uh, events that have these elements to it. I think it really shows what kind of world-class uh, players these guys are when you throw in a really strong element like that. That was good. I'm most looking forward to, well, first of all, fans at a golf tournament. It's going to be really great um, and refreshing to watch on TV and kind of like hopeful going forward. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I'm looking forward to our number one sizzler, Russell Knox, getting the job done this <laughs> week. <laughs> well, as I always say, you're his biggest fan. And if he wins, I would expect a 10% cut of his uh his He wins on fly to Bermuda. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much to Russell and to Jay for helping me this week in Elk's absence. The other producer that works on the show, he didn't know that Russell was going to be helping me when um, he crunched all the numbers. So he deals with all of that and then he like we have a big conversation about it. And when I told him that Russell was going to be on, he's like, wait a minute, he's our number one sizzler. So it all worked out pretty good. I like it when there's all these weird coincidences and maybe it means something. So I'm feeling optimistic for this week. I hope our information helps you with your picks for the Bermuda Championship. The show airs on the Sports Grid Network every Wednesday at 2pm Eastern and then it's repeated at 3, 10 and 11 at night so you can watch the show. The live stream is at sportsgrid.com and then you can check it out on your TV streaming platform like Apple TV, Amazon, Roku, YouTube... But if you go to the Secret Golf Twitter, um, the pinned tweet at the top will tell you all the platforms that it's available on. But thanks for all the support for the show and for this podcast. Really appreciate it. And we'll be back with another one next week for the Houston Open. Mm -hmm.